Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This episode is all about treasury maturity and how to make a treasury department future-proof. We are thrilled to have Leanne Perkins, Assistant Treasurer at Specialized Bicycle Components and member of the NACHA Advisory Board. Leanne has been the driving force behind the Passionate Treasurer since 2020, serving as its CEO and owner. But most importantly, Leanne is a treasury advocate and a fantastic guest, as you will soon discover in the episode. In the episode of today, expect to learn what does a treasury department look like, what does treasury maturity mean, how do you actually create shareholder value as a treasury department, how do you ensure future-proofing in the treasury department, where should your focus be to advance your treasury department's maturity, Leanne best advices for the younger generation of treasury professionals and much, much more. Talking to Leanne Perkins was a delight. She has an incredible understanding of treasury matters, her ability to provide knowledgeable insights and talk with her heart about treasury is extremely inspiring. We thoroughly enjoyed our discussion and we hope you will enjoy it as well. If that is the case, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us and helps the podcast thrive. Last but not least, we started the AI Treasury Insights newsletter, a weekly three to five minutes read that will cover what is happening in the world of AI with a focus on treasury and how this technology will change the way we do corporate treasury. Follow the link in the description or simply type in your browser corporate-treasury-101.com slash newsletter. With all that being said, please welcome Leanne Perkins. So, Leanne, thank you so much for coming on Corporate Treasury 101. We're going to delve a lot more into what treasury departments look like and how to future-proof your treasury department today. A super exciting topic. But to get us started then, can you walk us through what our treasury department is composed of? Is it just a room full of people doing the same thing or how is it usually split up and optimized? Yeah, well, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me to talk treasury. It's one of my favorite topics of conversation. So appreciate the opportunity. Treasury for me is an area that I think is quite underserved and underrated in companies. It's a function that I think is a little newer to companies than your traditional finance roles of, of tax and accounting. But nevertheless, it is getting the recognition it deserves, particularly after COVID. So we've had some changes in how treasury is seen in companies. And typically, you would have a structure that consists of analysts or accountants who do bank reconciliations and look at cash on a daily basis, ensure inflows and outflows meet the needed levels of cash requirements. But as Treasury has become more useful to a company and become more involved in the finance function, it really needs to look like a normal well, I say normal, but a traditional finance function in a company. And therefore, the structure of the treasury department should always follow strategy. We know that structure follows strategy, form follows function. So therefore, 
how you set up a treasury department in a company is really important to ensure you know where you're going with the department, what you are trying to accomplish, and that will determine the structure of the team. So to answer your question, you typically have a lean team. Treasury departments are usually full of um, powerful, curious, self-motivated employees who really want to learn and improve. So it's typically very lean where employees are doing more than one process. But the important part with any finance function is to ensure you have segregation of duties. So that would typically mean you have a front, a middle, and a back office operations. You usually would have a treasurer who uh, reports directly to the CFO. And then you could have various levels of management and analysts underneath it. But I think the, the main point is, is to say that as long as the structure of that team is, is following the strategy of not only the department, but the company as well, that's how you get a, a good and fully functioning treasury department. Very clear. And so you said it was very lean. And I think most of the conversations we have with uh, guests on the podcast, they, lean is another word for understaffed <laughs> at times. So if you were making a bare bones treasury department, what would those roles sort of look like? Like you'd say, okay, look, you have to separate out your, I don't know, cash manager from your Y person and, and et cetera, et cetera. Like, is there anything like this? Or could you have a one-man band in treasury um, or is that's there really a, not? Yeah, no, it's a really great question and a very good topic of discussion because we talk about this in the industry a lot. The functions of a treasury department are usually dictated by, you know, the type of company, the industry you're in and the level of sophistication. That would be a great way to staff up a treasury department. And, and you say that we're usually very lean, understaffed is a good word to use. And we're usually seen as professionals who are interchangeable with our skill sets. So there has been many occasions and still are where treasury departments are a one or two person department, which I think it's not doing justice to the company and neither to the treasury profession as a whole because there is so much more that a treasury department can do we are not where we were 30 years ago where treasury was cash management we are so much more than that in, in fact there's five specific areas of treasury that treasury professionals have education and experience in to bring to the company so if you were to start and build a bare bones treasury department you would at least have to have separation between cash management and the operations side. You always need to have segregation of duties and one person reviewing and one person entering information, particularly when it comes to payments. We know that fraud is the most important thing on our radar in Treasury these days. And if you don't have more than one person to help with these areas, you're doing a disservice not only to the company, but to the professionals themselves, because the risk just when you have fewer people to look after important functions. And I think it's also difficult when you only have a one or two person team, because you do need to provide vacations and time off and life happens. You can't just ensure that these two persons run a department 365. So I think it's it's really important to 
to put the right people into the department and to make sure that at least your your base levels have separations of duty and you have experienced treasury professionals in the department to help with the areas where they're a little too lean. Makes a lot of sense. And I suppose it also depends on just how automated your processes are, right? I mean, if you are if you have someone opening your bank uh, accounts every day and taking your statements out and doing all of your analysis like that manually, you really can't afford to have people offer it if you're tight on cash. That's right. Yes, because you need to know where your cash is every single day. And I think the problem with, with smaller treasury departments is you tend to work on more of the urgent work and less of the important work. And you're not going to mature as a department if you perpetually do that. So I think the message is clear and out there to the industry that treasury needs to be taken more seriously and we need to fill it with with professionals who can help the company achieve its goals. Oh, very, very clear. Do you do you see a difference in that? I guess you could say the importance that companies give to the treasury departments, but like overall the the maturity or the the roles and the size of treasury departments between regions. It seems like, at least from our experience with this podcast and the guests we speak to, that the U.S. is a little bit more advanced in their treasury capabilities. Uh, do, do you see a difference reflected in how the departments are built between regions as well? Yeah, I think you can. And I think it also depends on whether you have a centralized or decentralized treasury structure. I think, at least in my experience, I've actually seen countries outside of the U.S. be more advanced in their treasury setups. Uh, just, I think depends on what companies you've been in but it does depend on you know the type of work you're doing and just the the level of involvement that the finance and the cfo team want treasury to have and what i've seen in the past is cfos who come from more of a banking or a a, a pe uh, path or cfos who come from a cpa side there's usually a difference in their understanding of how treasury fits into a company and their worth to a company and I think it's the treasurer's goal now to promote the function to be able to show our use and and the importance of staffing us up, of giving us training so that our our regions and our different units across the world are equally staffed, equally educated, and can provide the same value. And I think it's not really up to treasurers to just hope that people are looking after their careers it's actually vice the, the opposite the vice versa where treasurers have to step up and be advocates for change and advocates for the function so that they can get the visibility and the expertise that is needed to help companies move up and, and mature that's super interesting because indeed i guess throughout all industries you've seen advancements in technology for example which is just reshaping everything it seems just be getting faster and faster so that triggers a question like have you seen that over time that really the face of treasury departments has been changing um, yes due to that absolutely i it's it's twofold um i think the the one that started it very foundationally was the advancement of technologies and automations as you mentioned and you know i've been in treasury for about 19 years and my very first job as a treasury analyst was learning how to use SAP. And SAP 19 years ago to where it is today is a completely different tool, but it has come such a long way and it's 
has helped the treasury function to just automate, to um, do more with less and to provide accuracy and information that we didn't have in real time, you know, 19 years ago. So I think um, automation has also been built a lot for the treasury function in mind because there is, you know, a company, regardless of whether they have a treasury department or not, is always going to be involved with banks and payments and vendors and, and lending. So you need to know as a department how you can interact with these vendors and banks in a in a easier and more automated fashion. So banks are are spending a lot of money in research and creating automated products that assist the treasury department. So there has been a lot of changes in that area. Um, it does take time, obviously, because there's a lot of compliance and there's a lot of risk related to automation. And you need IT departments that can help as well. So I think I've definitely seen changes in automation and it's very exciting. And I think one of the reasons why I have such a passion for Treasury is that we have this ability to use what technology is being put out in the market to enable our jobs to be easier to do and to be more useful to a company and free up our time as well. But I think the other part that's enabled Treasury to become so visible to CFOs and the finance function was COVID, even though that was obviously a very difficult time for the world and for people impacted, it really gave Treasury the chance to shine because there's nothing like a crisis that brings, you know, the ability to to provide some sort of um, usefulness to a function. And in the US, you know, we had a lot of government assistance for companies that when we went through the the depth of COVID and it was up to the treasury department to find the banks that were providing these loans to get them the, the documents done and to get the approvals and to get the cash in the bank when we needed them and there was only so much cash to go around so it was those treasury departments that were proactive that had nurtured their relationships with their banks ahead of time before they needed them and who just you know spent the time getting these products approved those were the the departments that actually could help the companies raise cash and and get the funds when they needed them most and i think tra uh, covid just gave treasurers the ability to be just seen by other departments particularly the the cfo and the board and it also gave us a chance to to use the the systems that we had put in place to be able to create forecasts um, more rapidly and more often than we normally would. We would do it once a week in, in most normal normal times. But during COVID, we were having to produce these on a daily basis, sometimes twice a day. And so, you know, it just gave treasury departments the ability to use the systems and the plans they had put in place years before to be able to to shine in the time that we all needed them most. I love that you that you bring that up, uh, Leanne. I can't can't help but thinking that the current recession, or however we'd like to call it, crisis or potential downturn of the economy, is also bringing that up, right? Um, when we think about the volatility, for instance, because Treasury, as you said, oftentimes is understaffed, and uh, it can be seen as oh yeah, okay, another cost center, whereas. If you manage properly your cash, that's probably millions of return you can, I mean, you can auto finance 
a treasury department, if you have a proper FX hedging in place, well, how many millions on your balance sheet? I'm talking big companies, obviously, but it can really turn into a profitable cost center given it's properly managed and with proper setup in place and with pro a proper treasury maturity vision and, uh, and future proofing, which yeah. is me back to this um, technology piece that you were mentioning. Uh, it's, it's constantly evolving. So what is the, the right place to be today in terms of structure technology-wise? Do we want treasury department to have a, a TMS up and running? You mentioned SAP. Is it something treasurers must develop skills on? I'm thinking about payment factories. What's your, what's your view on this? Yeah. And I, I think, again, it, it comes down to, you know, what does the company need? It has to be fit for purpose. I personally don't believe that you can ever mature a treasury function if you don't automate. You There is just too much work, um, inflows and outflows. There's too much risk. There's a lot of e exception reporting. And there is just too much manual work to to ever get out of the weeds if you don't use a system, a technology system. And I think the great thing about advancements we've seen over the years is that TMA systems are not the large capital outflows that they used to be 10, 15 years ago. They used to require incredible amounts of, of capital and, and upkeep and expense during the year. And now we have a lot of cloud-based systems that are modularized so you can buy the piece that your company needs it's fit for purpose you can set a great foundation for what you need for your particular company and you can scale from that so i think the minimum is having automation in your cash positioning whether that be atms or um a, a connected connectivity to your bank where you can get daily reports i mean if you don't know where your cash is in what currency in what country and how to deploy it you will not have a good foundation to run treasury from so i think at the minimum that's what you need then i think the next step is is cash flow forecasting particularly for your 13 week rolling cash forecast companies that are just continually using spreadsheets and have no vision to use automation in this area are going to struggle going forward. And it, particularly when we're in economic recession or, or difficulties, forecasting becomes the tool that everybody relies on. Its accuracy is more important in these types of stressful economic times. And there are so many solutions that are really cost effective to implement and to um, use with your TMS system and your cash positioning reporting to be able to give you the information you need in a matter of minutes. Otherwise, by the time you've finished compiling and reconciling your forecast, the information is already stale. So I think those are the two really main foundational pieces that a treasury department needs. And the other one is any type of broad mitigation technology should be implemented into a company. I think where we live in this world where Broad is a, a daily occurrence and it's it's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen to companies. So if those are the three really important areas that Treasury has to concentrate on as a foundation for technology. And then to answer your, your second question is Treasury departments do need additional technology skills. 
gone are the days where we all just got away with, you know, being really good at Excel and having advanced Excel skills. There is so much more that we're using in companies that's integrating into the finance departments that we have to be able to know how to use. And, you know, treasury professionals are, are usually people who want to just be able to help themselves. They want to know how the system works and how they can get the information they need. They don't want to rely on asking others for reports or, you know, having information fed to them. We need the information usually in real time. So I think we do need to sharpen out our technology skills and we need to be trained on them because it's evolving all the time. It's it's not a you know, you you understand technology today and that's it. It is it's evolving, which is what makes you know, being agile and curious, a really important behavioral skill for, for yeah. treasury professionals. What would be a quick win uh, for the people listening who are like, okay, yeah, I definitely need to upscale technology-wise. Where would you recommend to put the focus on that could directly bring you up to the next level in terms of either automation, I don't know, learning a language, a programming language? What's your, what's your recommendation? Yeah. You know, I think if you're lucky to work in a company that provides training, then I would say it's it's really important to go on project management courses. I think that's incredibly important because any type of technology you implement is usually a project. So so I would recommend that as a, as a skill. But on the technology side, I would say that if you already have a treasury workstation or any type of cloud-based software that you're working with, the quick wins are to go to those vendors and ask them for training. And they usually have, oftentimes it's free training on their websites or they have conferences you can go on or you can teach yourself through those um, different types of offerings they have on their websites. But I think quick wins are usually ensuring that you understand the the way the program is functioning for your particular task that you have to complete on a daily or a weekly basis. There's also, you know, training from your IT team. Oftentimes they're very good at understanding and, and figuring out how these these systems work. So you can go internally, but also, and, you know, this may, may sound odd, but a lot of my training I do, I use YouTube. I look for professionals who know what they're doing, who who understand how to explain how a system works. I, I'm not at the point in my career where I'm going to really go out and learn how to program in C or Python, that's not my skill set, but there's ways that I can learn from others who know how to do it, who can help me make my job a little easier or understand my technology. So if we were to uh, look at your YouTube videos history, Liad, what would be the, the last tutorials, uh, how to, how to what's um, on YouTube? What did you learn recently? Uh, that's a really good question. I learned... Uh, <laughs> Even though I just said I don't know how to how to use Python, I did actually YouTube what is Python, how do you use it? <laughs> and I quickly figured out that's not something that I'm really good at. But I actually I did go onto YouTube and look for some how to videos on the TMS system that we're using. And we do have those um, a lot of those programs on the TMS website itself. But I needed just a little bit more understanding. So I, I use YouTube for that. And I also my YouTube channels consist of just understanding a lot more on the accounting side and how, given the economy we're in right now, 
how does global economy changes and um, interest rates impact our, our foreign exchange program and particularly how do, does that relate to the accounting of it and where it sits on our financial statements and relation to EBITDA? So how how can I do use any levers on my side um, where I sit in Treasury to impact to positively impact EBITDA the way we we manage our covenants? So that's what I've been up to. Makes a lot of sense. And as a if I can offer a little bit of a consultant view. I can only vouch on how valuable uh, being able to go in the nitty gritty of the systems, the treasury systems, TMSs, payment factories, all this kind of stuff. It's ultra valuable. So I think that's that's a really good advice you give here. Learning about the TMS, the company is using, um, how to do the nitty gritty, understand how it's set up. That's uh, I think that's a really good one. Okay, so we have a we have quite enough of an understanding of how the treasury department is structured, what are the advices on where to look at, how to make it more future-proof, or how to have a strong and solid base. Mm -hmm. Now, could you help us define what treasury maturity means and is? How would you define it? Yeah, so for me, you know, treasury maturity is the evolution of the treasury department and its processes over time. It ranges from being a treasury department that's very manual with a lack of controls it would be considered very inefficient there's no set structures and policies and procedures so that is your very base level of of treasury that's step one and then to go to a mature treasury state would be one where there is great amounts of efficiency there's a inclusion of automation in everything you do it is very procedural driven and also it's using automation to ensure that processes can be replicated and ideally in all the regions and areas and hubs that the company works in a very standardized manner. This makes it easier for the company, the accounting departments and the auditors at the end of um, the quarter or the year that all or as many as possible processes are standardized and I think as I said earlier, you know, you can't mature a function without automation. So if there's one thing that's embedded in treasury maturity, it's bringing automation into the treasury department. Super clearly. And what's the one red flag you see in a non-mature department? So if you were to walk into any department and go, oh, okay, if they're still doing that, definitely not. There's a specific task that just has to be automated that you don't see enough. And, and I and I think there's there would be more than one, but the one that's really concerning to me is the lack of controls. And, you know, given that Treasury manages and is in, you know, in charge of cash out the door, I think it's incredibly important that you have a system that allows segregation or enforces segregation of duties. You cannot have one person entering and approving payments that go out the door. And I think. A lot of times, you know, I've heard that we trust our people. They're not going to do anything wrong, which is oftentimes the case. It's not always about being, you know, nefarious as a person. It's about people getting into your systems, um, hackers, BEC scams. The list goes on about how difficult it is to, to work in a, an online banking environment because you are just ripe for the picking. So... When you don't have segregation of duties, I would say that is absolutely 
the very first area you have to look at to automate to ensure that you can use straight through processing or you can have at le- at the minimum a system that ensures segregation of duties on the payment side. Very clear. No, sounds very important indeed. I guess um, having the right controls in place. And you mentioned hacking. There's also like social hacking, right? Which is not even just like technology, but also if one person's in charge, they can be scammed or um, yes, or anything else as well. So definitely makes a lot of sense. And so what is that process of going from a non-mature, if that's the way you can say it, like a, a, a treasury department, which isn't very automated, um, doesn't have the right controls in place towards one that is a lot more mature. Like what is the right yeah. framework to apply or how does a company embark on that journey? I, I think this is the crux of this conversation and, and the most important part of getting from where you are today to where you want to be. And I, I think with treasury maturity, your goal in the treasury department should be to create an anti-fragile department, one that can withstand all of these exogenous shocks and the external and internal influences that exist in the world and impact the treasury department. You have to be a department that's proactive and educated in treasury and a department that pays attention to global events. So that is absolutely your goal of where you're trying to get to. So where do you start? You start with who you hire. And I I just, I think that the Treasury Department is full of people who can ultimately be a think tank for the company and influence the company in many positive ways. So that all that whole process starts with who you hire. And you want to hire treasury professionals who are truly in it to want it. They need to be advocates who want to be part of the change, who really enjoy transformation. Um, they're continual learners. They are very aware of technology and automation that's out there. And they personally can figure it out and, and know what's best to help the company along its journey. And then you you also want to hire professionals who want to ensure that they have a foundational excellence so the department has something to grow on and to grow from and to scale on for the future. So these employees are very tenacious and they're just going to make it happen even through difficult times. And then thirdly, you need to, you know, to hire those people who have those two types of mindsets but they also know they have to do the day-to-day work. It's there. we got to make sure it happens. So they keep an eye on the day-to-day, but they also keep an eye on the future, on global events, on emerging fraud schemes, on emerging compliance requirements that are always changing in our industry, and they're keeping an eye on new technology. So, so these treasury professionals that you're hiring, they are keenly risk-aware. They're the type who who create business continuity plans. They know things are going to happen in the future, so they already have solutions today that they can put in place in the future when they're most needed. So I think the right teams make all the difference. So getting from an immature to a mature state starts with who you hire. And then you think about you know, procedurally, how do you go about doing this? This is the time-consuming part. So you, you started, you've hired the right people, how do you get there? So I think you start with 
understanding as a team where you are in the maturity level. It's okay if you're right at the bottom. At least you know that and you know that you have a ladder to grow from. And I think you um, you start with knowing what you're not doing right. So as you talked about earlier, you know, what is the one thing that you need to fix in a very immature treasury department? You look for that. What is that? Is it is it implementing a system so you can ensure ensure segregation of duties? Is it ensuring that you're working in a compliant and, and regulatory manner that's required for your jurisdiction? So know what you're not doing and look for ways how to fix that. And I think you also, in that way, you need to know what your department's strengths are, what their career ambitions and goals are, and how you can use their skills and knowledge to help you on this journey as you mature the function. And then I think the other part of that is, you know, like we've discussed uh, for a while now, that automation and systems are very important. But when you're in this very immature state, how do you get those systems in place? How do you get the money? How do you get the resources to put these systems into place? And that's where you have to have people in your department who have influencing skills. And you don't really think about that when you think of treasury. You think about very skilled technology professionals and people who are keenly aware of risk. But the influencing and the storytelling abilities, I think, are key these days. And that's what you see in very mature, very profitable treasury centers. They're filled with treasury professionals who have influencing skills, who have the ability to tell the story behind the data. And they are great leaders and really good at change management. So I think when you're hiring you need to hire for what you need today, but also for, for where you want to be in the future, because these are all the things that are required to help you get to a mature function. And it's like, um, one thing you said there just reminds me of a line that mutual friend, uh, Mike Richards always says, which is treasury is a people's business at the end of the day. That's right. Yeah. He's Definitely an important part. Yeah. So we've we've talked thoroughly about how you get from absolutely non-mature and future-proof uh, treasury departments. How about the extreme opposite? Have you seen um, and what will be the best practice and latest advancements in treasury organizations that embodies this future-proofing on top of people skill sets, uh, treasury technologies? What does it look like best in class? Yes. So best in class and I personally know treasurers who run best-in-class treasury departments and they are just my heroes. I think it must be so great to have gone through the journey of going from the, the very foundation to being best-in-class. And what that looks like is it's it's the department that is is fully optimized in all areas, including automation, having the right skill set and treasurer professionals in place and optimizing how you do your work. And things in Treasury change a lot. You know, it can go from year to year where we have to change how we work. Um, a lot of the times it's because of external regulations changing or just the strategy of the company changing. But a truly mature Treasury department has its foundation so well set and it's put in place procedures that can help it change on a dime when it needs to. So it's optimized, but also its objectives are, are formally defined and they are able to link their treasury strategy to the broader corporate strategy. And most importantly, 
the treasury strategy is able to be linked to creating shareholder value. Because at the end of the day, that's what the treasury department needs to uh, adhere to is we have to be able to help the company ensure shareholder value creation. So a fully mature treasury department is optimized. They're agile. Their strategy meets the, the broader corporate strategy. They are usually considered a think tank or a center of excellence where if the company needs any information on how processes should run, how they should be able to, how, how the company can move into different geographies, can use different payment methods, can change um, how they're paying the customer or who, even who the customer is, they are an area that can support the change of, of the company's strategy because they have the expertise and they have those nurtured relationships with their banks and their vendors globally to be able to put solutions in place for the company as they needed. Typically, they also use in-house bank structures. They have consolidated their bank accounts to have virtual bank account structures. They have really good pooling arrangements and they're optimized on their foreign exchange programs as well. So I think at the end of the day, it, to sum it up, is to just say that the way that the Treasury Department is structured is in line with the strategy of the company. And as the company changes, so can a mature treasury department. I really like how you really insist on the fact that treasury department is not a, an entity or a department on its own. It really has to first take into account the objective of the company, of the business. How do we best support it? Having that baseline and then lead towards something that you brought up, uh, shareholder value. Could we dig a little bit into this? How do you create shareholder value as a treasury department concretely? Yeah. And and so just to um, expand on what you were saying, you know, I, I definitely believe that treasury is both a front-facing and an interfacing department. So front-facing, that's everything with our banks, our vendors, our you know investors, our rating agencies, and our shareholders. And then interfacing, we are a department that is absolutely not siloed. We have to be a part of, of the business team and involved in, in areas where we can help grow the company and future-proof it. So we interface with, you know, the traditional finance departments. There's tax, there's accounting, there's um, FP&A, but there's also legal and there's investor relations and there's sales and there's supply chain. So we are, are definitely that department that is involved in, in every area of helping the company succeed. And in terms of shareholder value, you know, the way we operate needs to, needs to be reflective. Obviously, if you're um, public or private company, there's still shareholder value and, and we can influence in ways by ensuring that we can safeguard the financial assets of the company. We can work in a way that impact positively impacts EPS. We have to control the financial risks of the company and we have to protect the financial return and the financial assets that we have. And in all those ways, we're ultimately at the end of the day protecting the shareholder value. And one way that I've most recently learned where Treasury can impact shareholder value is on its reputation. And a lot of what we do in Treasury, because it is so front-facing and it's so public, if we 
have a lapse in our controls or an area where fraud happens or anything that could potentially negatively impact the company, you're introducing reputational risk to the company and that at the end of the day impacts the shareholder value. So I think we have, you know, a lot on our shoulders. We have a lot of positive influence that we can make, but at the same time, there's a lot of risk that we bear. And in order to mitigate that risk as best as possible, I think it really starts with ensuring you have the right people and the right foundation so that you can reduce these risks and you can manage what you do as a department to ensure only positive outcomes. Makes a lot of sense. Thanks a lot for this, Lian. Um, one of our favorite games on the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast is to chase and break down acronyms. Could you, could you explain what APS is exactly? Because I'm, I'm not aware of this one. Oh, sorry. Uh, EPS, earnings per share. Earnings per share. That's yes. it. It's awesome. Thank you very much. Len, um, I'm curious. When you talk about future-proofing, and then you're also talking about technology, what's your take on like how, techno how fast technology is moving nowadays, right? It seems like every year, every two years, you're already obsolete versus what's in the market now. You have, especially in, in Treasury, you have fintechs launching all the time. You have uh, new versions of DMSs launching all the time. And, and especially with this AI revolution that we're going on right now, can you really ever future-proof yourself well enough? Or yeah. how do you even do that with how fast technology is moving? I mean, I love it. I love that we have this technology evolve, evolving as, as fast as it is and that it's actually something that can be implemented into treasury solutions so i i love it i think it's it's moving faster than you know i probably can keep up with but i think that's the fun in it actually and i think you know you i don't think you can really actually you know completely future-proof your technology i mean as, as things change you know i don't know that you can perpetually keep up because we have limited resources But I think the way you do that is, you know, with future-proofing the Treasury Department, I think about it in a way that it's the Treasury Department anticipating future requirements, future risks, and so that we can ensure the longevity of the company. So by doing that, you know, you need to have a clear foundation, as we've, we've spoken about earlier, so that you can have technology inbuilt into your systems, but it has to be at a foundational level that you can grow from. And so, you know, you have to be able to scale. So we, we can't keep changing our systems. There's, there's switching costs for everything that we do. So that's, you know, that wouldn't make sense and wouldn't be operationally viable. But it's about having a good foundation. And I think where we are in this technology time is you, you have to have a cloud-based system. That's something that can be easily built upon and scaled as, as technology changes. And If you're using big, reputable companies, they're oftentimes bringing in updates and, and changes to your system for you. And then obviously you need to be trained on them. So that's up to the Treasury Department to, to keep in line with the training as well. But I think also one way to do it as well is to ensure that you're either bank agnostic with your, your solutions that you put into place And another way to do it is to have your own swift pick so that if you do happen to change TMS systems, you're not having to start from the beginning and, you know, connect all your bank accounts again. You just, you know, you're responsible for your bank and you move that over to 
a different treasury workstation. So I think those are, are two ways that you can scale as you go. But I think it's it's also about your mindset and not being afraid of technology. It's out there. We have to embrace it. Sometimes it's difficult for us, but we have to be able to to learn what's out there and what can make a better impact for our company if we embrace it. And and one thing that I definitely am enjoying embracing is Chat GPT, and it's I I think that is one of the most amazing inventions that is out there. And I'm really glad it's around. And I, I look so forward to how we can start implementing that into, into treasury as it gets, as it grows legs, basically. Well, you're foreshadowing uh, a little project Guillaume and I are working on actually, but, uh, just a quick point there, Leanne, because we have, we've covered Swift and the corporate treasury one podcast, but we haven't covered BIC. Could you just quickly. Give us a, because you mentioned it. Yeah. What is BIC? So um, is this part of a little game, the, <laughs> the acronym <laughs> game? Bank identifier code that goes along with um, your company. And oftentimes you would connect through the bank's BIC or their SWIFT code. So I think, you know, all, most treasury professionals are aware of um, each bank and branch has its own um, SWIFT identifier. So being in that code. And so when you create your own Swift BIC as a company, that code and Swift address belongs to you. So when payments come in and out of your company, instead of going to your company name, they would be just um, connected to the Swift BIC, which is basically your address with Swift. In my previous company, I had a fantastic treasury manager who had experience with creating a Swift for the company and she brought this to my attention and that is how we basically future-proofed ourselves by when we needed to move TMSs we didn't have to start from the beginning and reconnect every bank that we were working with to our TMS system all we did was take our Swift address take it over to the new TMS and then they were able to um, redirect all traffic in, in and out on the bank rails to this Swift address so I think it's a it, it's a lot of work up front, but I think it reduces the the back end work should you ever need to change TMS systems, your own Swift compliance when you have your own BIC. So it also ensures that you're keeping up with the regulatory side and the requirements of the Swift system. No, I love it. It's very it's a very practical tip. Yes. Um, for any uh, for any treasurers out there. I had another idea there as well, and you mentioned how important resources are and people are, right? And how important your team is in future-proofing. Do you see any role of like this push towards diversity and inclusion and the importance of that in future-proofing your organization? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you bring it up because, you know, as we spoke about earlier, it, it's really, it is the team who drive the change and who drive the improvements in anything that we do and and that goes for any function in a company not just treasury but i thought about this about a year ago about the importance of hiring the right people and including diversity and inclusion into future proofing treasury and i came up with an acronym of what i think is really the the right way to staff up a treasury department and so i used the the word dream team and I'll go through the acronyms as we, we go through it. But the very first thought that I had was 
you know, diversity. And it's, it's so important to have diversity in thought, in education, um, in your experience, and also in your personality. And the bigger your team gets and the more involved they in an, are in a company, you have to have people who, you know, have differences of opinions, who can challenge you. And I think when you bring in diverse people into your treasury department, I think it's it's only for the good of the department and ultimately for the company. So I, I think it's it's just genuinely important not to only hire people who think like you do, but who sometimes think outside of the box. Um, I am a person who is very creative in the way I think. I am not your typical treasury person who is very, you know, analytical. I think with both sides of my brain, actually. So a lot of my ideas come from a very creative side. And a lot of the finance team come from a very analytical side. To, so together, when we we brainstorm and we go through ideas, it's amazing how how much fun we can actually have in, in thinking through solutions and and challenges because we come from a very diverse experience and just sometimes ge geography as well. So my dream team is, you know, firstly, it's diversity. Secondly, it's recognizing everyone's competitive advantage on the, on the team. You have to hire people who are experts in technology and they really enjoy continuous learning. They have to be agile and unafraid of change. And I think we've spoken about that with automation. And the M is, you know, you, you want to hire people who are either mentoring others or wanting to be mentored because there is so much change going on in treasury, both in just, you know, the actual treasury profession, but also in just how teams operate, particularly as we go through COVID and the remote era that we've gone through, you know, you need people who are, are willing to either help or ask for help. You have to be a tenacious problem solver. You have to be energetic and engaging. And I mentioned before, you have to be able to tell the story behind the data. And most importantly, you have to be motivated to excel and lend a hand to others. So to answer your question, I think the dream team is what you need. And it starts with being diverse in thought, in education, in experience, and just in what you bring to the table. Makes a lot of sense. And that's, I don't know, the world that comes from and it's beautiful. It's beautiful the way you, you approach it, uh, Liam. I, I like it a lot. Well, you might I'm just thinking, so... Indeed, we, we focus very much on people and we already tackled it a bit with the, the YouTube tutorials and potentially reaching out to your, to your system, uh, vendor partners and the, the one that provides you with the TMS services. Any other resources um, that you could recommend or that you've seen in the place that could help people to develop this critical thinking, innovation approach um, and to challenge the status quo, sorry, think a bit outside the box. Where can we go to? Because... As every skill, I, I imagine that's something you can train, right? But right. where do you start when you want to approach such endeavor? Uh, that is a great question. And I think the answer to that is your network. And I think I've been in treasury for 19 years. Like I said, I come from South Africa. So I moved to the US. I didn't know anybody here and I didn't know a lot about treasury. And the only reason I am still in treasury today and so passionate about what I do is because I immediately developed a network who was able to help me to 
understand where I needed to go, how to develop my career, who could help me along the way. And that is the reason why I want to be someone who gives back to the treasury industry and function as a whole, which is why I, anyone who knows me knows that I am an absolute advocate for the industry and the profession. I think your network is how you improve in life in anything you do, but particularly in a, a very technical area such as treasury, you need networks who can help you, you know, when you're stuck with a, with a technical question, when you're trying to learn something new, or just when you're trying to understand how to manage in your, your environment that you're in, how to promote yourself, how to move up the, the treasury maturity ladder, both in your company and in your own career. And I've told this to many people before, but Mike Richards just loves this, this saying that I have your network is your net worth. And I think at the end of the day, that's how you get things done. You can YouTube as we've spoken about. I, you know, learn a lot from YouTube. I, I learn a lot from my boss and from my other peers in, in my company, but I learn the most through my network. And I've, I've purposely gone out and, you know, broadened my network. I've gotten myself a mentor. I've gotten myself a coach. And I also am working with others to, to mentor them. Because as I said earlier, I just want to give back to the community that has given so much to me and helped me to get to where I am in my career. And I want that to be a way that treasurers can uplift themselves and the function in the future. So to answer your question, if you want to grow and you, you have questions, go to your network and build it if you don't have one. Mm. And I think a, a great place to start for that is the NTAs, which stands for National Treasury Associations. I know they're pretty active in Europe. Uh, there is the EACT, so the European one, and then you have one for each country. Do you, I guess you have a similar setup in the US, right? Or how does this network get together? Is there, is there such a thing? Yeah, there is. And when I first started my treasury career, my boss was someone who I wanted to be like. I wanted to be a treasurer like him. Mm -hmm. And he had the CTP qualification in the US, which is the Certified Treasury Professional. And that is managed and administrated by the Association of Finance Professionals. So that's our Treasury Association in the US. And so I have been, um, I have my CTP and I have my CTP for Canada as well. That's where I first started. And I've been volunteering and working on Treasury committees with the AFP since about 2008. So I'm heavily um, involved there. And then I also, during COVID, I did the fellowship and the treasury license through the ACT in the UK. And the reason I did that is because I'm curious, I wanted to learn, and I knew that I had more treasury understanding that I needed to gain from global companies. So so I engaged there, I passed the exam. It was one of the most difficult things I've ever done, but it was wonderful. I you know, defended my dissertation, and I'll, I'll say that YouTube learning got me through a lot of those <laughs> difficult um, learning sessions, but it, it, YouTube was great. But so I, you know, I built my network up both in, in the US and in, um, Europe so that I can just have that broad network of individuals who I can lean on when I need them. And actually one of my mentors is from the ACT in the UK. And so I have a very, you know, diverse and broad set of 
treasury professionals who I can lean on for questions in in all areas of my treasury career. So I think um, even in in South Africa, there's a, a treasury association, and um, in Australia as well. So it's fortunate that treasury is getting out there; it's getting recognition around the world as an association and a leader in the industry. So I encourage people to always join their local association that's where you get your best learning you you make uh, a great network base and you you also make great friends out of it too voila so if you didn't know where to start and you are listening to this right now here is the first step to build your network and i love this quote then your net worth one of the main treasury missions um, lian is to deal with uncertainty right and mitigate the risks linked to it and maybe the last question that I would like to ask in regards to this future proofing is how can treasurers adopt a rather low risk appetite approach in their day to day business, but yet keep an agile and flexible attitude towards change and embracing innovation and all the beautiful yeah. things? Yeah, no, I, you know, I have the saying that a tsunami starts with small detectable waves. And so we know as treasury professionals that we have to be risk aware. We cannot be a department that uh, is afraid of change or afraid of risks. We are not immune to the risks around us. And I believe that this is a major part of our job is understanding we live in a very risky world. So what do we do about that? We got to start with knowing that, knowing that the risks are all around us. We have to understand where the risks coming from that impact our companies and our um, job functions, and then understand ways how to mitigate them. And I think it's really important for, for people to also know that risk does not respect organizational structures. It's going to come at you from wherever it, it does. It's going to impact all parts of the company. So in treasury, your solutions have to be global in nature. They cannot just be ones that protect the corporate office or, you know, a particular region in time. You, the solutions you put in have to be ones that help the company in its entirety. And importantly, in treasury, we got to treat the causes of the risks and not just the symptoms. So it means there is, there is a lot that we have to look after. There's a lot that we have to know is coming at us. There's a lot of risk mitigation solutions that we've got to put in place, got to um, look for solutions. Uh, we, we've, we're always got to be aware of what's out there and could be coming at us. So it, it's kind of a stressful job, but it is what it is. But we also have to know that we can't be afraid of change because if we don't change, we're going to be left behind. And I think, you know, my my thought about it is that you know treasury's got to be the vaccine and not the medicine if i can borrow from the the covid times but we've got to be that department that puts into place things up front that are going to help us in uh, mitigate the the impact that could come at us later down the road and this goes for everything such as you know the way we work the foreign exchange processes that we put in place the automation and the tools we put in place as well as the people that we're hiring. Beautiful, beautiful sentiment there, Leanne. So please take us through your own personal experience, if you could, Leanne, um, of when you've done uh, a future proofing yourself. Do you have a specific example that comes to mind? 
great. I, I had a, a really interesting experience in a company over COVID where I was really happy with the successful future-proofing project that we put into place. And, you know, I think with future-proofing, it always needs to start with having a problem to solve. So what is it that we needed to do in the treasury department to help us future-proof the company? And our problem at the time was liquidity. We did not, and this was a global company, we did not know where all the cash was. We had a, a good idea of most of it, but not all of it. We didn't always know in which currency it was in. And we didn't always have a plan as to how we were going to deploy the cash from where it was sitting back to the US where we most needed it. And fortunately for us, this project started a year before COVID hit. So we, as a treasury department, realized that we needed to fix liquidity. We could no longer, due to the size of the company, just use spreadsheets and you know manually input cash from around the world. It was taking too long and we weren't certain of the accuracy of our information. So we started with our team assessing where we were and what the end goal was and what we needed to make this happen. What, what process did, it, what, did we have to put in place and what automation tools did we need? We also knew that we needed resources, so we had to sell the project to our C-suite, and we need to hire the right person who had experience in implementing ERPs and who was able to source the right ERP for us. So we started by hiring correctly, and then we went out to treasury conferences in the US and we met with a number of, of treasury software providers. And what we did, I think, were, was unique when we went to these conferences was to go with a list of what we needed, what was our um, absolute requirement, what was the budget that we had, and knowing that we needed a fit-for-purpose treasury workstation, one that was affordable, and we weren't buying more than we needed at the time. And we were able to uh, sift through different providers based on those requirements, knowing that, you know, we couldn't afford an SAP at the time, but we could afford a cloud service that, you know, was able to give us what we needed. So we did a lot of research into it. We also created our own BIC, which required, you know, some IT assistance, but not much, but mostly work on the treasury department side to get compliant with SWIFT. But that was absolutely worth the effort and the energy that we put into it. So Eventually, it didn't take us very long to find the provider that we needed who was affordable and could help us through the project. And then we created a complete project out of implementing this EMS. It was um, filled with the right project management skills, knowing that we could complete the project on time and to the required budget. So that was very important for us. And when the system was put in and uh, tested and everything was automated. We obviously had completed the the goal of knowing where the cash was and and how to deploy it. It was a very successful for us. But then we knew we had to go one step further, and that was to have a forecasting tool that would be able to um, either integrate or be used with the TMS system to ensure we knew where our cash was on a thirteen week basis. And it was taking too long. We were we were having one person's 
time fully dedicated to forecasting during the week. And we were a lean department, didn't have the time to do that. So we again went out to the local treasury conference. We went with the same requirements as we did with the TMS. And we got ourselves a cloud-based AI forecasting tool, which was absolutely the best tool. I still to this day think it's the most impactful and effective forecasting tool on the market. But we, again, implemented this um, forecasting tool with the same project management approach. And once these were both um, implemented, we were able to reduce the man hours from five days a week to one day a week to get our forecast First of all, to, to know where our cash was and then to get our forecast updated um, at the beginning of the week. And it was very useful for not only just the Treasury Department um, and our use of time, but also for management and those making decisions based on the cash position. And then COVID hit about three months after we had fully implemented these systems. Then our board was requiring us to turn the forecast more often than we had been in the past. And we would never have been able to do this and to comply with the board's requirements if we did not have this automation process in place. So I think we, you know, the timing was just fortuitous for us. And we had, we had been planning to mature the department, you know, about two years earlier. So I think that was one of the best decisions we ever made. And then making it happen, you know, it's easy to have ideas, but to actually put them into place and bring them to fruition takes, you know, the dream team. It takes everyone pulling their weight and and reaching for the same goal to ensure it happened. And it, it was a very well-received project. It was very useful for the Treasury Department, for the CFO, for the board. And I, I just think it's a great example of putting in processes and procedures when times are good because when they're not, you do not have the time or the resources to do it. So I think it's all about putting plans in place now for when you need them down the road. Leanne, so, that, so that's an amazing example. So many questions are coming to my mind. First of all, I would like to highlight the fact that you basically did a system selection or mini RFP by going yourself to conferences and exhibition shows to ask your questions directly to the vendors and then select the best one. Is, is that what you actually did? Yes, that's a good, yeah, you, you nailed it. Hey, that's exactly what we did. We didn't have the time resources to go out and do RFPs. We just decided, let's do it ourselves. Let's take the bull by the horns and make this happen. That's super impressive. But so basically you did select and implement a new treasury workstation or TMS. You yes. implemented a BIC, you selected the cash flow forecasting tool and implemented it. And as you said, you made all this happen, not only just having the idea and selecting it. Did you do this all by yourself or did, did you surround so with that project management team? But were those resources you hired internally or were those outsourced resources? Yeah. Um, and I think this is, um, you know, true for a lot of, of treasury professionals is that we're so limited on resources. We had a treasury department of three. So we were, you know, sometimes that's, that's bigger than most companies have, but we were lucky with that. And we used the project management skills that I had learned through my education, but also from our treasury manager who had experience in this area. And then we coupled that with our TMS provider who created a great schedule for us and ensured that we all had buy-in and were able to 
get to the deliverables on the time that was in in the timeline. And we all, you know, we worked very hard to make that happen, but we had very limited IT resources internally. So we relied very much on our TMS provider to help us through the process of implementing our own scope bit as well. So um, it was very much our treasury internal team along with our TMS provider who managed that process. And on the AI forecasting side, the provider is just more than gracious with their time and they actually came to our offices and in one day helped us to get everything up and running exactly the way we needed it. And so, so that was the the external um, assistance we got for a one-day period. So it was it was an amazing project. I'm still very proud of it. Yeah, you can. That's, that's super impressive. How did you, so back to one of your previous comments, how did you advocate and sell all these to leadership? Because as you mentioned, this has a certain cost, right? And even if you have a limited budget for all this, you were probably having a budget. How did you convince leadership to follow you into this? And before the results came in, right? Because once everything is implemented, it's future-proof, it helps during COVID, that's all great because they see it. But before that, how did you advocate for this? You know, I think it started from very much the time I started at the company. I was able to build trust with my boss. We had a really good working relationship and it all started with me, you know, proving to the CFO that when I... When he asks for something to happen, he can consider it done. So we built up that trust. I had many small wins along the way, you know, in the treasury department. And so I think once he had trust in me and knew that he could hand over the treasury decisions to me, that was when I started explaining my treasury maturity strategy to him. He was very excited by it. He bought into it as long as he didn't have to do it. <laughs> so he was very much... Um, on board with with my vision for the treasury department because it matched also the strategy of the, the global um, company, but also that he had the trust in me that if I thought it was the right thing to do, then he would help me with what I needed. In terms of resources, it was a sell to the C to um, our our C suite, and it it wasn't without difficulty. There was a lot of um, ensuring that the quantitative side of it made sense to the C-suite and the use of resources made sense to them. We did a great presentation. So we had gathered all the facts in the treasury team. We gathered everything down to how much time and how much money we needed from the company. And we presented to um, the panel as to the importance of this project, the benefits to the company, and our whole treasury team involved in that and they could see that we were very dedicated to the solution and that it would ultimately at the end of the day it would meet the needs that the company had and the, the company wanted to know where the cash was at all times and knowing that you know we were outgrowing a spreadsheet I think they understood the need to pay now and have the dividends return down the road so it, it I think it starts with any project it starts with having the trust of the person who's selling it to you and knowing that if they say that they're going to make this happen that it will be done and it won't be wasting the company's money so they they need to know that and they need to know that it has at the end of the day a 
solution for a problem that they are saddled with. And, and the CFO is always saddled with the liquidity problem. So if that can be solved through the solution, then they help me, you know, purchase what was needed. And we also negotiated a very good contract with our providers that we could pay monthly. It wouldn't be a, a long-term commitment if, you know, we just didn't have the funds for it at the time. So it's all about negotiating with your your vendors as well, a, a mutually beneficial contract for both sides. So I think it was, um, you know, very much part of the project is selling it, but it's also influencing your C-suite to know that this solution will help them at the end of the day. 100%. How, how long did it take in total to go from, okay, guys, we have a problem to we have a fully up and running cloud-based AI forecasting tool? It was eight months. At the end of the day, that's actually a really short project. It, you know, at the time it felt longer because it was a lot, you know, because we had to do that on top of our daily work as well. But um, <laughs> it's a very tight deadline and we made it happen. So we, we accomplished a lot in eight months. <laughs> I'm super impressed. I mean, from experience, certain TMS implementation only, eh? not selecting it, uh, benchmarking it, negotiating, and so on. Just the implementation of the TMS, which is only one of the things you did, takes more than eight months. So that's that's very impressive. Because you have the green team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But now I understand the, the name of it. Definitely, that's yeah. that's a dream team you had here. I don't know if uh, you feel like uh, like it, but can we know about this amazing forecasting tool that you had? What, what's the name of the company? Yes, can I say that? Yeah, 100%. Oh, it's called Data Rails. They're an um, Israeli-based company. Mm. I think, you know, I tell them all the time, they saved my life. If we hadn't had that COVID, I would still be working on the forecast today. <laughs> <laughs> it's a centralized platform, basically, that they create. Uh, they, it collaborates in real time. It automates repetitive tasks, and it, it really improves... At the end of the day, it improves the accuracy of the financial models. It was very easy to use. It's very easy to implement. We even learned on the back end how to program some some of the the tools and the modules that we needed, so we could you know help ourselves. It's it's a fantastic tool, and I, I definitely um, suggest you look into it. Wow, we'll definitely. That's a hell of a, of a kudos for them. And yeah, yeah, for sure, we are totally comfortable with sharing names. Uh, we are not um, sponsored by DataRails. If anybody from DataRails is listening to this right now and you're interested into it, do not hesitate. <laughs> but super, <laughs> okay, no, it's it's good to know um, to know about this. Um, super interesting. Thank you so much, Leanne. Look, um, it has been an amazing episode full of insights. Um, is there anything else you would like to add in terms of treasury maturity, future proofing, transforming your treasury department, the right people, the right resources? Anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, and, and I thank you for having me on and being able to talk treasury. It's one of my favorite topics. But, uh, you know, to sum it up, I would just say, you know, when working to mature the department and to future-proof the function, as you go through all these projects, remember that the devil's in the details, but the success is in the strategy. You've got to start with knowing what you want to accomplish. You've got to be strategic about these projects. So remember that advice. And I think also, you know, be an advocate for the treasury profession. We have 
so much going for us. We have so much future and runway in treasury. And remember, you know, as you go through your, your daily tasks and as you start to mature your department, remember it's about having integrity for yourself with those with you you work with. It's about having a positive mindset and attitude, having passion for what you do and being very resilient because treasury is not free of difficulty. It's not free of stress, but you can use these tough situations to help yourself and your team develop and learn and grow in treasury. And my last bit of advice is please reach out to those coming up behind you. Advocate for them just as others have done for us in our careers. Well, that's very beautiful. I propose we, we stop on this. Leanne, if, you, uh, if people would like to reach out to you, uh, know more about you or your company, where should they go? Oh, please go to LinkedIn. <laughs> I am there <laughs> on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm always growing my network and learning from LinkedIn. So that's the best way to reach out to me. Amazing. Leanne, thank you so much for this episode. It was amazing. Great insights. Really loved it. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you so much. Thank you.